Well, it's good to be back home. I am so glad to be back with you. It has been two wonderful weeks away. And I want to say a special thank you to Pastor Troy for just leading the house. <laughs> Hopped onto our YouTube channel, watched the great message he spoke. It was awesome. And uh, uh, it's just great to see everyone again. If you don't know, we were away at Disney World in Florida with our two girls for the past couple of weeks. And it was a great time. In fact, seeing our girls just explode with joy, seeing real life princesses, um, real life fake princesses, right? But you know, um, was actually one of the highlights of my dad's life. Come on, it was so good. And um, Avi is four years old, Alencia is two years old, and it is, it is full days when you're on vacation with children. They, are, they're, they start early. They finished strong. One night we were coming home from Disney World and Avia, out of nowhere, I thought she was asleep, out of nowhere, she told a knock-knock joke. It's mildly inappropriate, but it's one of the funniest things that I, that I heard on the trip I thought I would share it with you. Uh, it's a four-year-old knock-knock joke and so I just think we need to hear this this morning. She says, knock-knock. Again, she's four years old, so um, just be warned. Knock-knock. Poop. Right, that's, that's funny enough on its own, right? Um, <laughs> her her, her punchline was amazing. So I, I'll set it up one more time because you've got to be ready for the punchline. You've got you to catch it in, in stride. So knock, knock. Poop. Poop, don't cry. <laughs> like, what? What? Vacationing with kids. I don't know where she came up with that. That's the funniest knock, knock joke I've ever heard in my life. Don't, yeah, anyways, I'm excited to be jumping into a brand new message series this morning called My Story. My Story. This series is born out of some conversations I had with a couple of friends over the, really a few months ago. And one of these friends, he's brand new in his faith. The other friend isn't really sure yet what he believes about God. And we were spending time together and one of them asked me one day, he said, if I was to say yes to Jesus, what would I be saying yes to? Loaded question, amazing question. I love the question. And then the other friend, I was hanging out with him one day, and he said to me, what's the Bible all about? Again, massive question. And so this series is born out of those questions. Now, when people came to Jesus in his day and they asked big questions, Jesus would often answer with a story. He'd often answer with an illustration. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is wanting to teach a crowd about worry. And he says, look at the birds. And it wasn't just saying, you know, kind of figuratively, like there's no birds around, but you can imagine, you know, if you think about a bird, because if you understand Israel, Israel, one of the kind of wonders of the world is Israel has over 500 million birds migrate there every year. And so when Jesus was saying, look at the birds, he was pointing at a bird. He's, look at the bird, they're all around you. They're just, they'd be swooping in as he's teaching this crowd, they'd be pecking at the ground. He's like, look at, look at them right there. It's right in front of you. Watch them. They're, they don't have a barn. They haven't sown away. They don't have some vat with some giant storage of food. No, your heavenly father feeds them. That's how you got to live your life, with that level of faith that God's going to feed you and give to you every single day. Jesus was, Jesus was always illustrating and telling his story. And so I found myself, as I was answering my friend's questions, I was telling my story. When my friend said, what's the Bible all about? I found myself saying, well, this is what the Bible has done for me. 
I find that the Bible elevates me. It lifts me. It is life-giving. It is the breath of God. When I'm going through any situation, I get God's word into me. It just takes me from where I am to a brand new place in my spirit. Now, my situation hasn't changed, but my perspective radically changes. And God's word does that in my life. I found myself not just answering with the theology of what the Bible was all about, but was telling my story. And so I went home from that encounter and I pulled out a notepad and I just started to write. If I had a, if I had a handful of conversations with a friend on how God has grown my faith over the last 20 years, what are the things that I would say to them? And I began to write these things down. And well, what, I, I'd build it around this part of my story or I'd talk about this. I began to write these things down. And, and when I say how God's grown my faith, understand God is committed to growing your faith. Your faith matters so much to God. He is committed to building your faith. Why? Because when you live with an abandoned, out-of-the-box, death-defying faith, it honors God. You're going to stand before him one day, and really what you are going to present to him is your faith. And so God is committed to growing your faith. So how does he grow your faith? The very first thing I wrote down as I went to my notepad that day was this. I said, God has grown my faith by revealing who he is to me through his word. And so there's going to be five different parts to this series over five weeks. The first one is this. God reveals himself to us by his word. Here's the, each week I'm going to put it into two word kind of pithy statements that hopefully become memorable. The first thing is this. How does God grow our faith? The first is this. Through practical teaching. That when someone opens up the Bible for you and they say, this is what this means, and it comes alive, and there's a way to implement it in your life, that that grows your faith. And so this morning is going to be a bit of an interesting message. It's going to be a, the start, kind of a teaching message. Pull apart God's word, dissect it bit by bit. And then at the end, we're going to try and make that practical. We're going to try and land it and say, how does this now flow into our lives? And so I want to tell a little bit of, of my story. Romans says this, it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. God grows our faith through his word. So if you were to take your Bible and you, you know, if you've ever just kind of started reading right at the beginning, you'll know you go into Genesis and you get the creation account, you get into Exodus, you see God lead the nation of Israel out of slavery and then you get to the third book, Leviticus, and all of a sudden, things get a little bit confusing. Because now we're talking about some laws for leprosy and some cleansing and some rituals. And all of a sudden, you're like, well, wait a minute. How does this apply to my life? And that's what my friend was asking me that day when he said, well, what's the Bible all about? He's like, well, what do I do when I get to around, you know, page 300 when it starts to be about some stuff I'm not sure about? And if you're new to church or you're new to the Bible, you might not know that there is... A, a, a lot of law in the Old Testament that does not apply to our lives today. And so the natural question then becomes, well, why did it matter then? Why doesn't it matter now? How do I know which laws apply and which ones don't apply? And is following Jesus really all about the rules? In fact, some of the, the lens and the perspective that many people come to faith with is, how do I find the faith whose rules I just seem to jive with? That's sometimes how people come. In fact, sometimes people say, I don't want anything to do with faith whatsoever. I mean, every religion, right, it, it seems to have its list of rules. And so, you know, people kind of evaluate, well, what do, I, what do I think about the rules? Is knowing Jesus really all about the rules? The Bible, I believe, when we 
when we go to it and we actually take a step back and we see what it's all about, I think it says something radical about the God of Christianity that might not be what you expected to find. In fact, a lot of people, when they approach the Bible, you know, they, they say, I heard someone say this recently about our church. They said, if you want your church to grow and you want people to come to your church, you're going to have to stop teaching certain parts of the Bible because they just don't, they don't really work for people anymore. There's some stuff that's just hard for people in our culture, in our world to get their mind around. If you, hey, if you don't want to shrink your church, you're going to have to kind of stop preaching certain things. That's the lens we come to. We think, I don't know what I, I feel about the rules. I kind of would rather follow my own instincts. And when we were on vacation, I realized this about myself again. I love to follow my own instincts. I have this thing on my phone. It's called Rome Like Home. Anybody have the kind of Rome Like Home for a, a, a daily fee? You can have your whole data package while you're away. And it's kind of, a, it's not that big of a fee. And so it's not really that big of a deal. I could have Rome Like Home and I could hit the little go button to find directions. And uh, Siri or whoever could be telling me, what turns I should make to get to where I want to go. Now, there's a couple reasons I didn't want to roam like home. The first is I'm a little thrifty, and it's like 9,000 bucks a day to get into Disney. So I was trying to figure out how to save for that. The second reason is I'm a man. <laughs> Come on, guys. You know what I'm talking about. We have what's called our man sense. The man sense, for those of you that don't know, means that men can show up in a city that they've never been to before, and they just know their way around. We can do this. So there we are in Orlando, and I just, I don't really know my way around. I mean, I've been before, but I don't really know the city all that well, but I don't want Rome like home. I don't need a map. I can trust my own instincts. I find my way around. In fact, there were several times, <laughs> several times, this is like, this is where I'm about to say something that Rachel doesn't yet know I'm going to say, and, and I'm just going to watch her eyes for this. You can watch them too. Um, there were several times on the trip where I had no idea where we were, and I didn't, I didn't tell her we were lost. I just kept driving until I eventually figured it out. Because <laughs> eventually, we, our man sense kicks in, or eventually my common sense kicks in, and I turn on Rome like home, and I hit go. Because here's the thing. When you trust your own instincts, whether it comes to your driving directions or the direction and course of your life, you sometimes you're going to get it wrong. And so how do we then approach God's word and how do we follow God's word? A man by the name of King David in the Bible, he said this about God's instruction and God's, in word, uh, God's word in the 119th Psalm. He said, your word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. Like I can't even see where I'm going if I don't have your word. And what's amazing about the fact that most scholars believe that David wrote this is that David was a dude that knew a lot of stuff. He had great instincts. Like in, in the Bible... And in history, David would be one of the guys where you're like, great leadership skills, great in battle, fancy on the harp. Uh, you know, he kind of had it all. <laughs> Yet David is saying here, listen, I got some stuff figured out, but if I don't have God's word, I don't, I don't even light from my path. He goes on the next verse and he says, I've sworn an oath and confirmed it. I'm going to keep your righteous rules. David is a lover of God's rules. So I just love your, word, your rules. They're, they're righteous. I want to follow your rules. What's the deal with David being in love with the rules part? David, don't you know that's the part that we don't like? We like the other stuff, but Dave, we don't love the rules. He's like, no, your rules are righteous. Oh, they're so good. What did David understand about God that we need to understand about God if we're going to get the Bible, apply it to our lives, and grow in faith? 
I think David understood this. There's two types of rules in the world. Two types of rules. First kind of rules are outside-in rules. An outside-in rule is a rule that you need to follow if you, need to, if you want to go from outside to the inside. And so, again, if we're on vacation, let's all go on vacation together so it's not just, you know, you imagining me. Imagine yourself on a beach. Hmm. Sit there for a minute. Okay. Now, you get, you get wet and sandy. You're playing with your kids. There's a steakhouse right across the street. There's, like, sand and water dripping off of you. And if you walk into the steakhouse, they're likely to say, uh, excuse me, um, you're going to need to dry off and put on a shirt and, uh, and some clothes and some shoes before you walk into the steakhouse. That's an outside-in rule. Some rules that you need to follow if you want to go from the outside of a place to the inside of a place. There's another type of rule. The other kind of rule is, is an inside rule. It's a rule that doesn't get you into a place. It's a rule that applies because you're a part of something already. The family rules are a great, a great illustration of this. Rules that you apply for your kids. So when we were on vacation, uh, we got our, our girls this little bubble wand at Disney. I might slip down and fall. I'm going to put them over here. Listen to how loud that is. You can probably hear that up in the back, right? This thing is amazing. It requires zero effort from the child. Like there's just no child work whatsoever. Every parent that has ever bought this bubble wand has regretted it very soon after buying it. I should have known this. There was a woman, I said, I said, because Abby was begging for it, and I finally got to the place where Disney won, and I'm like, okay, we're going to go get you a bubble wand. And this woman at the restaurant we were eating at, she's like, please let me give my child to you. <laughs> I don't want her to have it anymore. And then the child started screaming, and she's like, I better not give it away. And I'm like, what, what am I getting myself into? So we bought them the bubble wand. Now, as you can see, it blows bubbles, it's loud, it's kind of obnoxious. As we started to make our way around the park with the bubble wand, we were realizing that we were spraying people with bubbles, and especially Rachel and I, we were getting covered with bubbles. Like, I, I got so covered with this bubble juice that to the point where it's just like, if I wanted to blow a bubble, I just had to go, Phew. like, it was just gross. It was gross. So we decided we needed to make a rule about the bubbles. So here's the rule we came up with about the bubbles. If you want to blow the bubbles, you can blow the bubbles. You just can't blow the bubbles at people or onto mommy and daddy or at the point where that song is just numbing our skulls. We're going to have to turn it off at some point. So we made a rule about the bubbles. Understand this about the bubble rule. The bubble rule is not what, following the bubble rule, obedience to the bubble rule is not what makes Avia and Alencia my girls. No, obedience to the bubble rule is a part of just living in this family. I want, I want to look at the Bible and, and, and see how God gave rules. What was the context through which God implemented some rules? And I think, again, we're going to find it might, might be a bit different than what you might have expected. The first set of rules God gave in the Bible was in that second book of the Bible, Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, where God gave any uh, theologians in the place, what's in Exodus 20? Anyone? Ten Commandments, Adrian in the front, right there. You have won the bubble wand. Ten Commandments. A lot of people think that that's the way to get to God. But we got to fly back out. We need some practical teaching to grow our faith, to understand 
how we got to the Ten Commandments. So let's rewind. You go back to the beginning of the Bible, ish, Genesis chapter 15. God puts his eye on a guy by the name of Abraham. And God puts his eye on Abraham because God notices that Abraham has some giant faith. So God doesn't see Abraham's faith and then say, okay, well, I've got to go give this guy some rules. He says, he actually shows up and he gives Abraham a promise. Promises Abraham that his descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Only promises, only problem is that Abraham doesn't have any kids. Kind of fast forward a little bit. Because of his faith, he inherits the promise of God. And at 100 years old, him and his wife have a baby. Now fast forward a couple of generations. Now the promise is sort of coming to pass. Because now his descendants have indeed become a nation. The nation of Israel. But the problem is they're living in slavery in Egypt. And pause the story there for a, for a second. You ever find as you go to the Bible that this becomes your struggle? Where God has given you a promise. You find a promise in the Bible about God healing your body or God giving you peace or God giving you rest. And you say, that is the promise, but I'm not experiencing that in my life right now. And you say, well, how do I understand? Is that promise not true in my life? That's exactly how Israel would have been feeling about this point in time because they're saying God made a promise to Abraham that he was going to bless every single nation on the earth through his kids. The only problem is we're slaves. You ever find yourself seeing a promise of God that's not yet fulfilled in your life? What we need to understand about the Bible, again, we're kind of flying back up for some big picture teaching that we will eventually turn into some application in our lives, but we're in that big picture teaching part. What we understand about the Bible is on the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus paid for your freedom, your forgiveness, your healing, your, your rest, your peace. God paid for all of that for you on the cross, and the promise of all of that is for your life, and you're going to inherit every single part of it. The thing about it is this. The timing and the way God goes about fulfilling his promise, you do not know. Now, if, you're, if you have any kind of sickness in your body, understand God is going to make you, God's going to heal you. At some point, it might be an eternity when there's no more sickness, no more death, no more dying. It might be an eternity or it might be today. And the way we go about praying in this church is we say, God, I know you've already paid for my healing on the cross. I know that I'm going to be healed. It might be here and it might be here. You know what, God? Today would be a great day for a miracle. And my faith is just asking that today would be the day for that miracle. I know it's coming. I'm standing waiting for it. And I'm asking for it to today. So God makes a promise to Abraham. Then they're in Egypt. And of course, then if you know the story, then God eventually parts the Red Sea. They walk out on dry land. After they get out of slavery, three weeks later, God shows up and gives Abraham the Ten Commandments. And what does God say in the Ten Commandments? He starts this way in the introduction. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of your house of slavery. And then it's there that he leads into the commandments. But notice how God leads in. He says, I'm the Lord your God. He says to them, hey, reminder, we started this relationship a long time ago. I'm the Lord your God. And remember, I brought you up out of the house of slavery. So remember, I showed up first and I made you a promise. And then I showed myself faithful and I brought you through and I've shown myself to be the Lord your God. So now that you're on the inside, here's some rules about how we do life together. And then he goes on and he says, you shall have no other gods before me. So let me try to illustrate this in a way that's just going to stick in your brain and you're going to remember like Jesus and the birds. Every single day at Disney World, there are parents that are there and they are literally laying their lives on the line for these kids to have a good time at Disney World. Like they paid for the flights 
and they paid for the rental car, and they paid for the accommodation, and now with inflation, it's like, I'm rounding up, it's like $18,000 a day to get into Disney World. They've done all that. They've gotten their kids in the door. And they buy their kid a bubble wand, and the bubble wand is kind of going everywhere, and it's spraying everything, and they make a rule for the bubbles. Understand that when the parent is making a rule, They are making a rule after having sacrificed everything for that child to be in the place they're in. So when God puts some rules and some stuff in his word for you and I, understand he has already sacrificed everything for you to be in the place you are. And his direction and his boundaries are part of what it looks like to live in that place that he's brought you to. (laughs) When God speaks a word to us, you might ask yourself, big picture again, What stuff carries forward? Like how much of the Old Testament? We're really not going to get into that much. We actually got into a lot last year in our Galatians series. It's on our YouTube channel. If you're like, how do I kind of grasp this whole law thing? There's a whole lot in that really long series that you can go back to and watch. Let me put it into a couple sentences. What carries forward from the Old Testament of the law? Just God's moral law. Essentially the Ten Commandments. Nine of those are repeated again in the New Testament for reference. If you want to know the one that's not, it's the Sabbath. Another story, another day. God's moral law carries forward. So the rest of the law in the Old Testament does. So that, that, that's where we go. We have to understand, what, how does God bring this about? You see, 1,500 years later, after Jesus gave the 10, or 1,500 years after this whole slavery thing, um, and, and Jesus is, is on the cross. Understand, Jesus painted that same picture for us. When he was walking around the earth through his ministry, he's healing people and he's getting close to brokenhearted people and he's, he's freeing people and he's blessing people and he's, he's elevating and exhorting people. And then it's only after that that we see him say to his disciples, hey, if you love me, what are you going to do? You're going to keep my commandments. Not if you want me to love you, you're going to keep my commandments. No, if you've received my love and you've been brought into this relationship and then there is this love, hey, here's what you're going to do. You're going to keep my commandments. And so when the Bible says, do not covet, God, it's a big deal to God. Why? God doesn't want you wanting your neighbor's stuff. It is a big, God's like, he knows it will destroy your soul if you go through this life just like, man, I want that, and I want that, and I want that, and my neighbor's got that, and that's, they got a better marriage, and they got a better car, and he's got a better job, and they've got a platform that I wish I had, and they've got a better calling on them, and I wish I could do the thing that they do, and I wish I got to, no, God says, just get rid of that covetousness, flush that stuff out of your heart. Why? It's an insight. It's how we do life in this family. It's a big deal to God. And in fact, I wasn't really planning on saying this, but I just even feel right now that there might be somebody in the room this morning and there literally is some aspect of God's rule from God's word that you have wrestled with and struggled with and you're like, I want the whole package but that. And today I'm saying, come on, inside out, you need to understand God's ways, his direction and his boundaries flow out of the sacrifice of his love. Could you give that thing to God today? 
So what do we do with this? How do we land the plane? How do we make this practical? We said we'd fly it up to big picture teaching about the Bible. How do we, how do we make this practical in our lives? You see, in the New Testament church, the early church, they were struggling with the same sorts of questions about the law. Like, how much of this applies? Because in the early church, you had Jewish believers. Previously, they'd lived under the law as their way to get to God, and now they believe in Jesus Christ, but they're like, how much of the law do we live? And they've got Gentile believers. Previously, they had no law, and they just believe in Jesus, and they're like, well, what do we now need to do if we're going to be followers of Jesus? And Paul just bottom lines this thing in Romans chapter 13, and he breaks it down into a way that becomes so practical, practical teaching. He says this. He says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So let's make this thing practical today. What does it look like to follow Jesus? What's the bottom line? I believe it's to perpetually be asking ourselves this question. How do I love this person? Paul bottom lines the whole law with really that one question. How do I love this person? It's the question you ought to ask yourself if you're struggling in your marriage. How do I love this person? It's the question you got to ask yourself at work when you're leading your staff or you're interacting with a customer. How do I love this person? It's the question we ought to ask when political lines are dividing us. How do I love this person? I wonder, church, if our practical take home for this week could be as simple as this, to be asking ourselves throughout the week in really every situation, how do I love this person? What's beautiful about God's word and the growth of our faith is that when we come into God's house faithfully and consistently over one year, over two years, over 10 years, over 20 years, and we have the word of God taught to us and broken down into steps that are applicable for us, we find that it, it elevates who Jesus is in our eyes. It changes our perspective on our circumstance. It puts something in our soul that allows us to make it through the difficult days. God wants to grow your faith in a lot of different ways. He wants to grow it through his word, through the teaching of his word, that it would practically impact and build your life. So Father, we thank you for your presence in this place, your Holy Spirit, because God, it's not just my words that enables anyone to do this. It's actually the power of your Holy Spirit, God. We need to encounter your word with faith today. So Lord, we lean in. We say we're going to respond to your word. Help us this week, God, to get this question kind of stuck in our head a little bit. How do I love this person? For the ones that are easy to love and for the ones that are hard to love, God, we will ask the same question. How do I love this person? In Jesus' name. With your head still bowed and your eyes closed in this place, I want to ask a question because I, I think there's some people in this place today. And today is a day of decision for you to make a decision to actually put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Maybe it was hearing 
how God has sacrificed everything to bring you into a family and say, you know what, I, I, don't, I just don't know if today was my last day on earth. I don't know where I stand with God. And so today, before we dismiss the service, I want to give you an opportunity to respond in faith. So if today, you, today you'd be making a decision to say, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to surrender my life. I want to follow Jesus. I want to make him my Lord and my God. Maybe you have made that decision at some point in your life, but you know right now you're far from God. Not just that it was a rough week, but that you've actually turned your back on God. I want to pray with you in just a moment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three, and on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand and say, that's, that's me in the place today. I'm making that decision, and we won't center you out or embarrass you. No one will know you made that decision except you and God. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do on the count of three. Shoot your hand up and say, yeah, today I'm making a decision of faith to surrender my life to Jesus. That's me. Would you pray with me before we close the service? Would you raise your hand on the count of three? One, two, three. Would you say, yeah, today's my day, Pastor. Would you pray with me? I want to make that decision of faith in the place today. And I'll just look around for a couple moments as God speaks to your heart, as God's calling to your heart as a father, saying, come Come back to me. Come to me. Thank you, God. Come on, church, let's pray. Whether you raise your hand or you didn't raise your hand in the place this morning, but maybe you wanted to, you want to pray that prayer. Church, help those who are praying this today. Say, dear Jesus, I give you my life, my full surrender, and I choose to follow you. Thank you for forgiving me. Make me brand new. Help me to follow you. Jesus' name. Amen.